Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Discoveries, the weekend show. We are reading through the Bible this year. And as we do each week, uh, my husband, Malik, and I like to sit down and uh, talk about big issues that pop up as we're reading through the scripture that assigned week. Uh, and we also like to answer and discuss some of your questions as well. So thank you so much for sending those in. And on that note, if you have questions that you want us to discuss on air, pop them in the comment section below or email us at hello at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That is where we collect and get our answers from. But again, if this is your first time here, my name is Corey and I'm joined by my husband, Matlock. Hey, Matlock. How you doing? Good. Good. Yeah. Today. Today. We were supposed to read, or I guess throughout the whole week, it was to read Jeremiah 10 to 31. Yes. Yes. And if you haven't, that's okay. Uh, Corey has a weekly recap to catch you back up. But besides that, we got the questions that are engaged in those in those chapters that are really important. Really interesting questions. Yes, they questions are. on wickedness. Why? Why wickedness? Why is that? A thing? Well, that's the big question. The big, <laughs> the big question, question. That's right. Is the big question is why do the wicked prosper? So yes. Yeah. And then we're going to be asking other questions about specific things that Jeremiah talks about. What does it mean that the fathers eat sour grapes? Uh, you know, what are some other questions that we're dealing with? Questions about the heart being deceitfully wicked. Yes. Questions about Jeremiah cursing people, but people who seem like they shouldn't be cursed. What's the deal with that? <laughs> Jeremiah 20, we're going to be talking about right. lots about it. But first, I want to ask you a question, Malon. Hit me. Before we get to those questions, All right, here yeah. is your number first one. question. Right. Final question number one comes from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. If the human heart is desperately sick and deceitful since our youth, and we cannot understand it, why are we expected to know good from evil? How do I know for sure that I'm doing good and not evil? This okay. question is from Peter. All right. So first up, are we expected to know good from evil? Okay, so this, the trick, it sounds like a trick question. It's kind of like you're trying to get a gotcha moment. That said, quick thing here to be, to reconcile is deception takes time. You're not instantly deceived. So God, when God created everything, created everything good. And over time, sin corrupts. When sin corrupts, you get deceived in that process. So it's not just an instant corruption for which you can't discern good, good from evil. It takes time to build into that. Having said that, in the very beginning in Genesis, we eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice this is the knowledge of good as well as the knowledge of evil. It's not just I eat the tree of evil, therefore I'm evil, stuff like that. It's about the knowledge of what the difference is between these two things. Um, and then this is later corroborated in Matthew 7, um, verse 11. If you recall this verse, it is, he's talking to people about what it means to give good gifts. He goes, he goes, um, Christ goes, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, like you don't give them a snake instead of bread, for instance, right? How much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts? So the principle here is that if you who are evil know good, so we have an inherent knowledge of what's good from the knowledge of good, uh, good and evil from the tree. But we are also evil because that evil, that goodness within us has been corrupted. And that has been corrupted over time. Some, even though it begins in the youth, it begins in the youth, that doesn't mean full corruption to the point where you're, you know, you're so evil and so hardened that you can't possibly repent, and that it's pointless to repent. Mm -hmm. So there's still an element that, you're, you know, what does God say in Jeremiah? Turn, turn, turn from your good ways. Come to me. Anyways. So that's what I would say. So right there in terms of just timeline, uh, the human heart is desperately sick and deceitful since our youth. Yes, but not completely. And we cannot understand it. 
Why expression is no good for removal? We cannot understand it. So this is mentioned in Jeremiah. There's a big difference here that Jeremiah and us, I think that's really important. While we do not understand the full depth of the human heart, as Samuel talks about, as we judge the outer appearance, but God judges the heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts that he gives to us, the point is that some are given the ability to discern what's right and what's wrong, especially within a person. Not completely like God, but we would be given like a portion, kind of like what happened with Elisha, a portion of these giftings so that we can discern um, uh, the desperately sickness, sick parts of ourselves and not to be self-deceived. So the Holy Spirit actually helps us with that. That's one aspect. Number two is obedience. If you're actually obedient in God, um, following his commands, that is, and even rigidly, like you follow them, like God said, do this, I'm going to do this, even if I don't feel like it, that helps protect you against self-deception. Because in your obedience, you're not going to walk away and do those things. Now, there's different kinds of ways to be deceived. But the point here is what I'm trying to say is, Obedience is very helpful to not be self-deceived, as well as um, uh, earnestly seeking God and in prayer, I would say, as, as, as another element in that. Um, do you have something you want to say? No, I, I, I sorry, I thought you were done. I, I no, no, interject, go ahead. Interject. This is fluid, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, no, like when I look at 17.9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We, I think we all intrinsically know that our hearts are deceitful. I mean, emotion is deceitful. Just right. because we feel very strongly about something doesn't mean that that that, that emotion is warranted. Yes. The emotion is real. The emotion is true. It, it's there, but it doesn't mean it's warranted, right? Someone can give me a look. We're married. I'll use us as an example. You can use a tone in a conversation and I get really, I have a strong emotional reaction to the tone. I have no then, clue about my tones. <laughs> I have no clue how I sound. No. <laughs> I I'll no have clue. a strong emotional reaction to the tone. Yeah. And if I allow myself to be moved by my emotional reaction to the tone, we're going to get into a fight, me and Matlock. Because yeah. then I'm going to come at him with, with my emotional reaction to his tone. What I should do instead is say, all right, I'm feeling really frustrated because your tone is telling me that you don't care about this. Is that true? And then you have the opportunity to explain what you mean. And then I know whether or not my emotion was warranted because it may be that I'm emotionally responding to a misunderstanding of his tone. We Which all is very know. possible. <laughs> and in fact, after almost 10 years of marriage, yeah. it's getting less probable, but it still happens. It <laughs> yeah. still happens. No, but we all know this, don't we? We can have an emotional response to something that is a misunderstanding on our part. And I think this is a huge part of the heart's deceitfulness. Emotions can be in intensely helpful to us. Because it's a reaction against something. So we can take our moment there and go, okay, what are we reacting against? What are what is it that we are reacting to? And really deeply think things through. But right. but, the, but this is why, you know, this whole question, if uh if the human heart is deceitful above all things, how are we expected to know good from evil? I, I agree with you. We still do have 
a more, we have a moral compass. We have a conscience that is God given and right. can be seared. Absolutely. I mean, we see this Paul talking about in Romans one, we can sear our, our God given conscience and be given over to our evil. We see this in, in, in the days of Noah, you know, in Genesis and, and in Sodom and Gomorrah and all of these things. Right. However, this is why as Christians, we go to God. This is why as Christians, we read the Bible and we think deeply about it because we don't want to just blindly apply it because we might be misunderstanding it, right? right? We have to have a conversation with God through the word of God as well. So it's this back and forth. We read and then we meditate on the word of God. We, we, see, we see blessings for this prescribed in Psalm 1. If you go and you read Psalm 1, blessed is the man, right? Who, who, who avoids things, but also meditates on the word of God night and day. So we read the scripture, we think deeply about the scripture and we apply it to our lives because we need to, at the end of the day, base our morality on God's revealed morality. Right. But, um, so like yeah. I'm thinking Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, lean not on your own understanding. Right. In a, all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your path. So, uh, so that, that's the kind yes. of the way I was thinking about No, that's, okay, let's go with this idea of leaning on God because sure. the whole point of having the Holy Spirit is to lean on the Holy Spirit. Uh -huh. um, so when it asks who can understand it, okay, first of all, Jeremiah is asking this through the Spirit, right? Uh, the heart is deceitfully wicked who can understand it is what the mm. idea is that the spirit of God can. Yeah, like, yeah, if yeah. You the can, very next verse says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine That's the exactly mind. right. So then what are we given? The spirit, of, the spirit of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, right? Yeah. So the point here is that uh, this is no longer like fully applicable. Like at the time of Jeremiah, when the Holy Spirit wasn't being dispensed. All right, that's a weird way of putting it, but you know what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit wasn't as... Um, Indwelling in, 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 in the same way as it was today, where it's like free-flowing for anyone who believed, right? Uh, and confess with their mouth. Um, because it wasn't done in the same way, you have this thing where the, the natural intuitions of man are much more easily corruptible. So you rest on like, the obedience, right? You rest on obedience is one thing. Uh, and you rest on like, following God's law like to a T or whatever it is. Um, and not going over and not going under. Like you're just following, uh, hitting the target. Uh, but this understanding part still clearly an element because even Jeremiah recognizes that humans are sick. So if he is sick himself, which he's recognizing, how could he understand that he's sick? So it's, even this question itself, which if being sick is being evil, essentially spiritually sick, um, he wouldn't be able to recognize that if he couldn't understand the difference between good and evil. Mm. So it's kind of like the, this question is a little bit, the, the viewer question, or yeah, it's a little bit self-defeating. Self um, and then how do you know for sure that I'm not, uh, that I'm doing good and not evil? Well, that's through Christ through prayer and um, dedication and humility and see, seeking God with your whole heart mm -hmm. so that you see over time, like maybe it'll be little increments here and there of God working your life. But in a year from now, you can look back. And a year after that, you can look back and you can see a gradual change out of a lifestyle that you were. And this lifestyle is identified in the New Testament for what's evil. Yeah, definitely. This is, this is part of trusting God. This is part of, when I say trust, right. I mean faith in God to guide your life. So we do our best to follow God, knowing that our salvation, again, is not based off of us getting it right or missing the mark. That's right. not what our salvation is based on, right? Thankfully, Jesus Christ took care of that 
his righteousness is applied to us. And that is why we have eternal life. So let's wipe that off the table. But they, but regarding an anxiety over whether you're living a godly life or not a godly life, because we do want to live a godly life. When you, when, even though we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we, we, you know, we're created for good works. We're created to follow God and to serve God and to grow his kingdom. Right. So this is a desire and a good desire that we have in terms of the anxiety over whether or not we're getting it right. We need to trust that God and the Holy Spirit indwelling us is going to direct our paths, right? Yep. This is a principle in scripture. When you read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, yeah. right? So, and, and, and reading the scripture, meditating on the scripture, praying and, and attempting to apply the morality of God into our lives and moving forward with our lives, there is an element of, all right, God is is going to uphold his word. He is going to be the same God that he always was. And he's going to be faithful to direct me and teach me and grow me. Right. So. So I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I don't that's... think there has to be too much anxiety over that. But no. I understand where the questioner yeah. is coming from for sure. For sure. All right. So I'll hit you with another one. All right. Sure. Yes. All right. This is from a viewer. M.M. Secret viewer. <laughs> what should we make a <laughs> What should we make of Jeremiah cursing the man who brought his father the news of his birth for not killing him in the womb? Does he literally want him cursed? And is this the Holy Spirit or man speaking? Thanks. This is regarding Jeremiah 20 verses 14 to 18. And the secret viewer is me. <laughs> this is the reason that we're laughing, because Matlock knew that I wasn't going to look at any of these questions until we sat down to tape today. And I think you were just trying to make my life I difficult. I was. I was just trying to make your life difficult. So I, <laughs> so to add to this, this idea. Oh, you're adding to yeah, it I'm gonna now. Add to Thank it. you. Yeah. Thank so you. So I'm going to, so in relation, so Jeremiah is, you know, curse the date. You can read Jeremiah 20 verses 14 to 18 if you can. Sure. But then it sounds like it's contradicting what he's, what God did earlier. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So it sounds like Jeremiah is cursing the very thing that God appointed him to do. What's going on there? Thanks, Matlock. Yeah, just add some more dynamic to it. Just make you have a good time. Thanks for this impossible question. No. <laughs> no. Okay, let me see. Let me see if we can unravel this. So first, let's read the curse because it is pretty intense, okay? Uh Start, we'll just read the curse and then we'll go back and we'll look. So starting in verse 14, Jeremiah 20, 14, it starts like this. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. Poor guy. <laughs> May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? This poor stork. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, right, yeah. it's the messenger. 
Okay, there are a few things going on here. So contextually, Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah has um, delivered a message that Babylon is coming to destroy Jerusalem and he has been put in the stocks and beaten publicly and he gets taken out of the stocks and he delivers a prophecy to the man who put him in the stocks, which is not good. The man's going to get his comeuppance. Um, but then Jeremiah launches into this complaint against God. And in most English translations, it actually says in verse seven, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. That's probably better translated as persuaded. Like you persuaded me into this and I believed you, but my life is horrible. So Jeremiah is making this big complaint in Jeremiah 20 that his life is horrible. When you read Jeremiah 20, that's essentially what he's saying. My life is awful. I mean, I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But then he's like, but I'm going to catch 22. Because if I speak, I'm insulted and reproached. And then verse nine, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his words, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I cannot. And then he goes into this whole thing about how his family and his friends are lying in wait, hoping, saying, Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. So his family and his friends are very actually trying to take his life. They're, they're waiting for him to mess up so they have an excuse to kill him. Jeremiah does one weird verse of praising God. It's weird to us, right? He goes, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Because Jeremiah has just been rescued, right? But then he immediately goes into, curse be the day I was born, <laughs> right? So we see Jeremiah really struggling with the life that God has given him. And this isn't the first time we've seen Jeremiah do this. However, I would argue... It's the most depressing time we've yeah. seen Jeremiah do this. So like if we go back to Jeremiah 11, I think it's 11, it's 11. I wrote it down so that I wouldn't do this, but it's gone. Uh, Jeremiah 12, Jeremiah 12, um, Jeremiah complains and God answers Jeremiah. And you know, like I'm judging the people, but you're going to be safe. Uh, again, in Jeremiah 15, um, Jeremiah complains. Um, he, he even, he gets really close to Jeremiah 20 levels of upset. He says, alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. But God comes in and he says, surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. Surely mm. I will make your enemies plead with you. So Every time so far Jeremiah has complained about this or cursed the day he was born, God has come in and answered him. In Jeremiah 20, we do not have this. So it's really depressing. Now, all, the, first, the first answer that I will give is yeah. not a very helpful one, but this is why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Yes. Because he's really sad and his life really sucked. Yeah. Um, and then... When he does see 
his enemies, which are his, his people, be taken over and destroyed, mm. he writes the Book of Lamentations because he's right. actually not happy to see them destroyed. Right? right? He's not happy to see the destruction of his enemies. So he just writes more weeping, hence weeping prophet. Now, what I think is really interesting about this man that he's cursing is he's reversing what would normally be a blessing. So the person who brought the news of a child to a father generally would receive a blessing and they right. believed that they would receive a blessing. So Jeremiah is turning this expectation on his head, essentially in a really elaborate, poetic, prophet-like way of saying it would be better if I had never been born. That's how much I don't want to be living this life right now. Um, what I think is really interesting is that Jeremiah was told in Jeremiah 15, after his big complaint against God, Jeremiah is told that he needs to repent. Mm. It says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. This is in 19. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesperson. So Jeremiah, in a sense, is, is urged basically to lead the nation in repentance because Jeremiah is calling the nation to repent as well, even though the nation won't. So Jeremiah himself is called to repent. But here, with this response to Jeremiah's message of putting Jeremiah in the stocks and beating him publicly, the people have essentially rejected that repentance. So perhaps the reason why, perhaps the reason why Jeremiah has left this complaint in here without an answer for God is because now Jeremiah is leading the nation in mourning. Mm because their doom is now effectively sealed. That would be my, one of my answers is that here is perhaps where Jeremiah begins leading the nation in properly mourning and lamenting over the destruction that is coming. Um, another thing that I think is very helpful is that we also just looked like from a personal level now at Jeremiah, it's very helpful that we talked about the heart is deceitfully wicked. <laughs> Who can know it? Who can yeah. understand it beforehand? Because this is an example of Jeremiah being overcome by his emotions. Yeah. He is so overcome. And, and I mean, understandably so. Mm. He is overcome by his emotions, but he's venting them to God, which is what we also should do. Yeah. We should vent them to God. So, okay, so I mean, I've is talked Is it the about Holy Spirit or man? Well, this is both. I mean, it's in the scripture. It's both. So the Holy Spirit thinks. Okay. That <laughs> that's, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Uh, um, so. I think you did a good job of saying that because what you did was a good contrast. If the man who brings the message, right, of, of your son's being born to the, to the father receives a blessing. It's like blessed. To, what a wonderful thing to do. Yes. So he's reversing the expectation which gives a precedent for being poetic as opposed to being literally curse this guy or this yeah. stork, right? Or whatever yeah. it is, right? Do you see what I'm saying? It's not literally curse this guy. 
He's speaking in, in, in a poetic way, in, in symbology, which is the way ancient people thought and spoke, yeah. which is not like well, how we speak okay, today. Okay, because, because normally it is a very good thing. So normally it's a very good thing to bring news about a child, right? right? But listen to this. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. What are the towns that the Lord overthrew without pity? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah come to mind, mm. right? Why were they overthrown? Because of their great evil. Yeah. So what Jeremiah is effectively saying is that the news of my birth wasn't good news. Yeah. It wasn't blessed news. Yeah. It was evil news. Yeah. And he's actually right yeah. because he becomes the mouthpiece for the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I understand because Jeremiah 1 to 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were caught, before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Exactly. It fills in with that perfectly. Exactly. And yeah. God knew what Jeremiah's message was going to be. Right. And it was going to be a message of great evil. Yeah. So that's what Jeremiah is getting at by cursing, by bringing a curse on this man, is that this man was not this bringing proverbial good man. news. He was not right. bringing good news to my father. Right. It seems like good news, but it was not. It seems like it's a good idea to have a prophet of God unless right. you're wholly evil and dedicated right. to staying in your evil. Then it is a very bad news for you to have an ordained prophet of God because they are going to call you out on your evil right. and let you know that God's judgment I is I think coming. what's important here is really important. It gets down to the way of thinking in the Old Testament context because if you look at this as like, Jeremiah sees the same as his name as Joe. He sees Joe across, just like, uh, like gnashing his teeth. I wish you never told my father about me, right? Uh, it, that's what he would like. That doesn't really make much sense. He's not actually talking about the, his, the literal man who came here. He's talking about the proverbial man because it's deeply entrenched in this way of thinking. Yeah, he's he's creating he he's creating he's, image. He's yeah. creating really rich imagery for the right. people of that time, basically saying it would have been better for me and for you if I wasn't born. That's right. But get, but I was, and now you're going to die. That's exactly right. So, so like, this is a really tough message. But I think that's an also important way to think when you're reading these prophecies too. Like that way of thinking about things is not how we see things today. Like we read things like, oh, he's talking about cursing this guy, right? You just... Right. It's like, oh yeah, there's always a reason. And that's why I would say that it's the Holy Spirit as well. Right. So like, so is Jeremiah's emotion bound up in this? Absolutely. Is his emotion the Holy Spirit? No, but God has arranged it in such a way that it's still communicating a message to Israel because this is one of his prophets, right. you know? It, and, and to add to this, okay, right. And is it right for Jeremiah to say, curse the day was I born? Is that a morally right thing to do? Okay, well, a couple of things to think about. One, Satan is in the Bible. Did the Holy Spirit inspire Satan to say the certain words that are written in the Bible? Well, sometimes things are written down for our benefit, but they're not, necessar not necessarily in, uh, right? Because you need the whole context for them to make sense. Right. Right? So it's like, you can't just be like, oh, this in and of itself, curse be the day I was born. Sure, maybe that was wrong for him to say in spite of what God's doing. And because he feels that way, but at the same time, the greater context reveals why he feels that way. And that helps you understand more about what is actually happening. Um, yeah, not just it, historically, look, look, but spiritually. Jeremiah had his own relationship with God. And, and what we see over and over and over in Jeremiah is that God allows Jeremiah to complain to right. him. And sometimes he's like, okay, now repent. Right. Okay, now repent. 
But we know, I mean, Jeremiah doesn't stop at Jeremiah 20, does it? No, yeah. And it doesn't stop with Pasher. It continues on. There's more historical events that happen with Jeremiah in which he's still prophesying. Right. So he worked it out. Yeah, that's right. He worked it out with God. But yes, we, right. we see him venting his emotion, but there's a there there's definitely specific reasons for, yeah. for this guy that are not immediately apparent until you really focus right. on Right. I think if you look at that like everything, if you look at everything like commands, or you look at everything like I need to apply it this way, that's right. when as instructions, <laughs> then things get a little strange. Uh, but if you're not looking at it like it's an instruction manual only, you're looking at it like the greater human experience, right? Of what we go through then it opens up a, a range of possibilities to, to, how to how to read things. Anyways. So how did I do, M.M.? You did pretty good. <laughs> Stumped or not? Yeah. We, we no, got I over think, it? No, I think this is good. We got through it, guys. We did it together. That's we got right. through the question of Jeremiah 20 and the weird cursing of the messenger of his birth. Okay, question for you now. All right, sure. I'm going to just turn it around so I can take a couple deep breaths. Okay, <laughs> Jeremiah 24, Matlock. Yeah. We're not getting any better in terms of happy topics. No. Is false prophecy still applicable today? And how should we, and by applicable, I'm assuming we mean happening. Yes. Is false prophecy well, still. Does it, is there still false prophecy? Yes. 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 Is there still false prophecy today? Is false prophecy, the, this idea is still applicable today? And how should we deal with it in the church? Right. Because if you have, the reason why the applicability is used, because if you have, you know, <clears throat> real, you can have real prophecies and false prophecies and false prophecies are only applicable if there's real prophecies. Anyways, if prophecy still exists. So right. <laughs> besides enough. that, is there still false prophecy? Is there still, excuse me, False prophecy happening today. Let's just say that's the question. And how should we deal with it in the church? Um, let's, the first question, what is prophecy? Well, it's partly predictive. And it's, right, that's one element to it where it's dealing with um, what's to come. And only God knows that with his, his foreknowledge. And God, it's literally speaking on God's behalf. So a prophet would be like, you know, this is going to happen to you if you do this. It's also corrective. It, I was going to say, the other one is insight and corrective, moral, mm -hmm. moral correction, episte epistemic insight, which is knowledge, intimate knowledge about something, moral correction, moral insight into a situation like, I see your hearts like this, right? Uh, think about the prophet Nathan uh, when he came to David after he killed Uriah and stuff with Bathsheba. Um, he gave him a, a, a poem, uh, not a poem, but a parable of a man. He goes, David goes, oh, you know, that, that dang guy, that guy should die. Nathan's like, it's you, you're the guy. And David starts weeping. He's like, of course it's me, you know, he, right? He, that, that's, that's moral insight into a situation, but it, has to, but it was already something that passed. So it's not always predictive. So prophets are speaking on God's behalf um, for uh, the church itself. And I believe even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about how you know speaking in tongues is profitable for unbelievers, but Prophecy is profitable for believers themselves. It's a sign for believers. So this is the idea here is that it strengthens the church in and of itself. So uh, that has to do with what is prophecy, what is prophets. So I, with that in mind then, um, there's a difference between, I would say, false prophets and those who prophesy falsely. Um, yep. And what I mean is false prophets are... Their intents and their hearts are after wicked things. So you read this in, in Second or First Peter, where he's talking about uh, they bring in secret heresies in the church. They try to seduce uh, women and widows into what they want. So the 
So that's that's like you're talking false teachers now. Well, false so like ha- like right. like teaching something incorrect by accident is different than being a false but teacher e- that has nefarious right. motives. But also, it's in line with false prophets. Yeah, it's it in is. Line. But so, I'm just I'm just yes, yes, yeah. I was yeah, yeah, right, right. So broad spectrum, I parallel those two. Um, the idea here is that you have uh, the false motives and evil intentions and wicked intentions in, of the heart that are unbridled and left to flourish basically in secret. So you appear like you're a prophet, but you're not actually. Um, or like in the case of with teachers, you appear like a teacher, but you're not actually, right? You're, you're in it for your own glory. And um, so that would be a false prophet, I would say. Someone who's in it for their own glory. Whereas someone who prophesies falsely, even though in the Old Testament, it was uh, in Deuteronomy, it's like, if you prophesy and it does not come true, stone this man. So prophesying falsely, would just, in my mind, be happening a lot less, <laughs> I would say, because you would not be speaking on God's behalf be- on a punishment of death, um, knowing that that would be the case. So in other words, you're not speaking it by accident, right? There's, right, uh, Jeremiah talks about people who, especially in this chapter here, Jeremiah uh, uh, 23. I, we, I misspoke. It's not 24. It's 23, the end of 23. The end of 23? That's mm-hmm. okay. Oh, yes, right. Anyways, in, in here, it deals with people having dreams and imagining their own minds. And I think you talked about this before. During the pandemic, there's all these dreams on YouTube people were having, but what's to come? Trump's getting elected. There's a major war that's going to happen. It's all revolving around like American politics, stuff like that. And none of these things came true. So is uh, in the Old Testament context, these people would be like, okay, you're a false prophet. These things didn't happen. New Testament context, okay, you have to repent right now. Um, big difference. Uh, big difference in how it, how it applies because um, one, I think your status as as a prophet has been proven not to be the case. So you can't, you should not prophesy corporately anymore because you've pr- that would be, I think, the the major difference. Like you cannot prophesy corporately because you have proven to be lying and listening to your own passions. You don't have control, self control, and discernment to split the difference between what's your opinion, what's your thought, what's your imagination, and what God's actually saying to you. Um, because you can't, you don't know the difference, right? Your own thoughts are now being taught as God's on God's behalf, and that's wrong. It's actually quite evil. So that's a deep repentance there. Um, and the second part of this, so you know, like I said, in the Old Testament, it was used to kill. The the second part of this question is how should we deal with it in the church, apart from repentance? I don't have a great answer for this. Well, um, do you have something you want to say? Yeah, I think I think uh, like First Corinthians fourteen talks about order in the church specifically when prophesying right and, and um i mean i know there's a lot there's a lot that we could go into that we're not going to be able to go into um, when it comes to this but when we look at first corinthians 14 starting in verse 29 it says i know we're jumping right in like to the context here but we're jumping right in but two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. So there is supposed to be a very sober attitude surrounding prophecies in the Christian church. This is New Testament church. Um, 
there is supposed to be a very sober spirit when it comes to prophecy and a, a, a consideration when it comes to prophecy. So I think that sober attitude that is missing, quite frankly, <laughs> missing in a lot of segments of Christianity today um, would go a long way in, in, in correcting this idea of this idea that whether fairly or unfairly, because of the internet, there is this concept that there's all these just like freewheeling prophets separated from congregations. There's no context of their lives. They're just, they're YouTube prophets, you right. know? Yeah. They're out there just giving prophecies on YouTube, but no one actually knows them. No one knows who they are. We don't know uh, what their lives are like. They're not in our congregation. So how right. are we supposed to know? That's right. Yeah. How are we supposed to know? So we see we see New Testament prophecy in the context of congregational um, awareness and development and 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 um, order. Now it is also fair to say that the internet wasn't around in the first century, so we do live in a different cultural context, and there may be something to that. But I, I I'm still really thinking through right. this this concept, um, but. But in terms of how do we deal with it in the church, it has to be, I believe it has to be handled at a congregational level. Yes. Because that's how that's how everything is dealt with. That's how all sin is dealt with, is at a congregational level. That's why it's important to get involved, if at all possible, with a local congregation, because you have to have Christian family that helps you with your sin and vice versa. You help them with their sin. So that's it. Why would it be any different with this? Yes, on a local level. Um, there maybe was a prophets that apply out there. But apart from that, uh, like I was saying earlier, so suppose the false prophets come and they're teaching falsely, depending on if it's a false prophet versus prophesying falsely. So in my mind, prophesying falsely, you'd like repent, right? And they will repent. And that's kind of those things. But, yeah. then, but then there's some church discipline that would have to happen being like, look, we don't think it is wise for you to prophesy anymore because of the things I listed beforehand. On, on the account of a false prophet, uh, who is after, you know, and they won't reveal that they're a false prophet. And there are false prophets out there right now that we know that you, you, if you just look at online. Um, anyways, like Kenneth Copeland, who's prophesied falsely many times. Um, apart from that, uh, what do you do with those guys is the question. And um, What do you do with the guys who are proven false prophets who continue to prophesy? That's right. Well, well you, you just... You disown them. Well, that's right. You don't welcome them in the body of believers. Yeah. They're categorical heretics until they repent. Um, and that's repenting of all the false prophecies and what they're using the false prophecies for. Um, for yeah. Like for, our, 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 it, yeah. I, there, there are some pretty egregious examples of people who are using the concept of prophecy and the concept of the gospel for their own good and they are perverting it. Yes. And, and at that case, it's very right. easy to usually, disavow. I usually don't like mentioning names, but in that case, he popped up and I felt like I should say something. Anyways, the point here I'm trying to say is, is that there is a difference and repentance is always on the table as it is for us as humans. It's always on the table. So as long as people repent, then then they're in the clear in my mind and they come in under, but they have to fall underneath church discipline. Um, because when you prophesy... It's not just like, oh, you're practicing, you know, hey, you got it wrong this time. Don't worry about it. Give it a shot next time. Like, no, you actually have to discern mm -hmm. the spirit of God versus your own spirit. And if you can't discern that, then you're not a prophet. You can't split those difference. So but maybe one day you will prophesy truly, maybe, but at the current time, right, 
It is not in the cup's not in your favor, put it that way. So it's like I think Trishisma would need to be in order for prophesying falsely. Mm-hmm. Um and that would be severe. Like you cannot prophesy in whatever order this is. Um anyways, apart from that, um now that's a bigger that's like I said, well, it's not just predictive, I, it's moral insight and corrective yeah. it's corrective stuff. So there's different And we're gonna get into that when we get into the New Testament as well, when we get into the gifts of the spirit and all right. that. We'll 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 more fully right. flesh through and it's what a, some of those things mean. The reason why it's such a sticky line too is because when you're prophesying falsely and there's false prophecies, it is that when you blend yours, your own will with God's will, that's a very dangerous line to tread. So it's a, it becomes a very dangerous line. So it's important there that if people do repent, that there's uh, the church discipline is requiring humility as a primary healing factor. Mm-hmm. in this so that the person is no longer morally correcting people let's say or anything like, like they need to have some sort of, there needs to be a humbling process because you spoke falsely on god's behalf mm-hmm. um and that's in my mind is, is a healthy thing because it's also healthy for them it's not just right so anyways that's my last that's all i have on that well i think this segues really nicely into the big question yeah do you want to do you want to sure. go into the big question why do the wicked prosper you want to do it yeah, I think right. so. I think it really nicely segues into that because you 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 already mentioned Kenneth Copeland, who like I have no problem disavowing. Right. Um, <clears throat> but there are people who I mean, he's he people like that are an interesting animal because they're they're claiming to be pre, uh, uh, pastors and, and and prophets of God, uh, and have have really changed the gospel and really been proven false. But then there's other people who have nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever, and yet they're tremendously wicked in their lifestyle and in mm. the things that they do, and yet they prosper, right? So why? The question oh. is why. Okay, so take Kenneth Copeland, who makes millions, millions upon millions of dollars. I mm-hmm. think it's like the last time I we, we looked it up, it was like he was like seven hundred million dollars well, net worth. Really, but we can't base you, anything you on can't that. Can't base it off that. My those point Google is, he's got are people have news. private jets but, and all these things. Okay, but so yes, the man so, has he, private jets. Right. So this false prophet is prospering. Right. Yeah. So uh, my friend Chris, who actually directs the show, said something really good earlier before we started, and he said, "God's impartial. He lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust, um, but only for a time. So there will be a day where all will be judged." And <laughs> recompense will happen, right? God's justice will, be, but even the I don't ho- even think we have to go that simple. Okay, I think sure. we can go more specific than that. I think the Bible is pretty clear that we can go more specific than that. I mean, you look at the time period of Jeremiah, and the wicked empire was undoubtedly Babylon. Yes, they worshipped false gods. They murdered people. Okay, Judah was no better, which is why Judah was going to be destroyed by right. Babylon, right? But Jeremiah, you know, his huge complaint, if you go back to 15 and, 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 and um, it's all over the place where Jeremiah goes, God, what, how are you going to judge our wickedness with something that is more wicked? Right. How does that make sense? Right. How do they get away with their wickedness while you judge our wickedness? And God essentially says, they're not going to get away with their wickedness. Yeah. I'm going to judge their wickedness, but first I'm going to use their wickedness. Right. And as, and as frustrating as this concept is for us, because we think temporally, right? Like we think now, we think our lives now. So from Jeremiah's point of view, which is really refreshing to think that a man who literally talked with God 
voice to voice still has all these human hangups that we still yeah. have, right? Where he looks at something and goes, well, that doesn't seem fair. And yeah. just says it to God and God yeah. answers like that. I like that. That makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, def- I'm no Jeremiah, but I like that he has emotions that I have too. Um, we see things from our standpoint, like from our you know 86 years, maybe 100 years of life, if we're ex- exceptionally lucky. So we want, we think, well, if, if this guy lives for 50 years being a little bit wicked and this guy lives for 86 years being tremendously wicked, that's not fair. <laughs> we don't know that. Right. We don't know that that's not fair. Only God knows, right? God will judge. Yes. God is working with our human free will, even when that human free will is evil and actively choosing against him. So he allows us to make our decisions and then he makes his good plans happen despite and with and through all of those things. Mm. This is why God is worthy of praise. He's, he's above all things because he is able to do that. His wisdom and his understanding is able to do those things. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think that we know why in a specific sense the wicked prosper, but I do think we know enough to say they don't actually prosper. They appear to prosper to us now. They materially prosper, right. They appear to now. Right. But this isn't the end of the material world. When we die, it's not the end of the material world. Right. The material world is going to be remade by God, the new heavens and the new earth. Right. So. I think that, yeah, it's an, our immediate feeling needs to be justice now, like you were saying. Yeah. So. And there's nothing wrong with us having these, like God put these feelings of justice yeah. in us and they're there for a reason. And yes. if it's in our power to bring justice, absolutely, let's go for it. Right. But, at the, but we also know that when we incarcerate a criminal or if we give capital punishment to a criminal, still doesn't feel fair, does it? Yeah. It doesn't feel fair it feels pretty empty because it doesn't bring back what was stolen. It right. doesn't bring back what was taken. Only God can do that. Right. Right. So these feelings of injustice that we have, those are good. Those are reflective. I think of God's nature as just and righteous. Um, but yeah, only, only God will, only God knows truly why the wicked prosper. But I think he's, he's proven enough to us that we can and, trust him. And it's like, it, there. I think Ecclesiastes talks about this. There, it's a temporal prosper. Even like, it's yes. a material prosper only. So there's no spiritual prospering yeah. happening here. So it's like, okay, they prosper in the sense that they get, you know, a lot of food. They have like our the West. We have we've prospered abundantly, but now we're suffering the consequences for it. Yeah. Right? So um material prosperity is not everything, is it? Material yeah, exactly. Material blessing is definitely not everything. No. So not even close. Yeah, the appearance of prosperity, but not true prosperity. Mm. I think that closes that chapter. I think so too. What do you guys think? Pop your comments and questions down below. And until next week, happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.